this is WFIE. This is uh, Evansville, Indiana. Our crew's on the scene there. They might have another interview with a, a law enforcement official. And a reminder, we are waiting for the Fort Lauderdale County Sheriff to come speak. Uh, we anticipate WF, WAFF in Huntsville is going to have that interview in just a second. Uh, we're back here at the local news live studio covering this massive breaking story as the escaped inmate and an ex-deputy have been apprehended following a car chase around Evansville, Indiana earlier today. This is WFIE. Their cameras are in at, in that uh, on that scene. As you can see, all that police activity. We do know that Casey doesn't appear to have any serious injuries. He is the escaped inmate and that former deputy. Uh, Vicki White did suffer a self-inflicted gunshot wound. It's been considered serious. We don't know anything further than that. She has been taken to a local hospital, and uh, we are waiting for more from uh, local officials in regards to what happens next in this particular situation. But Mike's been recapping it. Mike, it's been an 11-day 11 11 incident we've been following with the help of WAFF in Huntsville. That's right, uh, uh, Ryan. So I'm kind of going over the facts here a little bit more. Uh, details about uh, 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 both suspects. Here uh, a little bit here, uh, Casey White, the man you see here, uh, or okay, you, I'll pull you up your mic. No, it, it's fine. Uh, uh, the man uh, uh, in this case, Casey White, six foot nine, so a little tall, I'd say, uh, as a five foot ten human being myself, six foot nine, I can't imagine uh, being that uh, tall. Six foot nine, weighs approximately three thirty pounds, brown hair, hazel eyes, so he probably stuck out a little bit. Meanwhile, uh, he also has tattoos of, so we don't have an updated shot here in this article, but I, I saw the shot earlier. Uh, at the time of the escape, uh, he had pretty much shaved his entire head, shaved his face. So uh, basically this picture, not very up to date. You have to imagine basically this with the shaved head, but also uh, tattoos of eyeballs on the back of his head. So literally eyes in the back of his head uh, for tattoos. Uh, additionally, Casey uh, has tattoos on his chest arms, upper back. I did see one of the tattoos on his chest was uh, basically uh, the double thunderbolts, and uh, I won't comment on that, but uh, uh, Casey has that. Oh, and a uh, white supremacist prison gang sign. Uh, the Southern Brotherhood. Uh, consider arms and dangerous. Vicky, 5 foot 5 inches, 145 pounds, blonde hair, brown eyes. So again, she and the, they're both apprehended at this point. Vicky is in the hospital in serious condition for a self-inflicted gunshot wound, according to authorities. Meanwhile, Casey, we believe, is uh, not injured. Yeah. Uh, that he is uh, uh, in custody, whether he's in jail or at uh, the sheriff's office or the police station in uh, Evansville, correct? Correct. Yep. So uh, uh, here's the thing. Where did this, here, here's something, and I should clarify this instead of asking live on air, but this uh, Lauderdale County, Alabama, uh, this ends in Evansville, Indiana. How, how far away is that, you think? Mike, I'm, I'm going to look at that real quick. Obviously, I mean, I think the the noteworthy part is how, how far the chase went. It's really from one, the southern to for the 11 days. Less, yeah. 11 days, that's a, that's a significant amount of time. And the, uh, uh, the sheriff, whose name escapes me, unfortunately, I was taking notes. But, uh, uh, and here are some pictures, of course, of uh, what they believe was their, like, first car. There's... Well, not the cruiser, but the car they used after that, yeah. which they dumped after uh, the heat was on, basically. So they found that car, and then uh, they switched to another car, I believe. And then there is surveillance footage here. Hopefully an ad does not pop up. There is uh, Vicky White in the lobby of a hotel. 
of some kind. Let's see here. The new video shows Vicky White at a hotel. I go to pull that up just a little bit for me. I got you zoomed in here. I'll right, make sure oh, we get yep, this. Done. Yep. I see that. I should pay. You're good. Here, I'm gonna hit play one more time. Okay. She's kind of in the upper left here. The new video shows Vicky White at the hotel the night before helping Casey White escape. So again, this was uh, basically the last time uh, people saw the law enforcement officer. Uh, in the news, this was the most recent tip that we received, thinking that uh, the search has been on, uh, the escaped inmate and the, uh, the, the former deputy now, uh, a former assistant of the uh, jail for the county, uh, allegedly, yeah. helping him escape. And again, Vicki White, Casey White, not related, no relation that we know of. Um, Governor Kay Ivey uh, also said, uh, the, so there's been awards issued for their apprehension no no idea on the current status of those of course uh but uh both the rewards were offered for the amount of five thousand dollars may 4th uh, uh sheriff singleton confirmed vicky white no longer a lauderdale county employee dare i say uh, uh something like this happens they probably don't want to keep you around uh, the evidence is kind of uh, on one side. Uh, on May 9th, investigators with the U.S. Marshal Service were deployed to Evansville, Indiana, which is where this uh, uh, manhunt, well, person hunt, sure. I should say, uh, ended. After receiving a credible tip from the public, the last credible out-of-state tip led investigators to the abandoned Orange 2007 Fort Edge that we uh, already showed you here. And uh, there we go. And they released... Here's the, here's the thing, everybody... This is so detailed because, Ryan, there's cameras everywhere these days, especially at a jail, dare I say. So uh, from the moment this began, you have records of it. You can see them getting into the car. You can see them going down the road, the traffic cameras, everything. Then we have uh, footage of them at a hotel and more. Now, both suspects have been apprehended. Vicki White, the former uh, law enforcement officer, in serious condition for a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Casey White, the former inmate, I believe, yeah. convicted of murder. Uh, he was supposed to be on his way sure. for a mental health evaluation. Also in custody, but uh, not injured. I believe that's the most current update. Yeah, Mike, I appreciate that recap on your part. Wonderful job. I'm going to take you uh, off here real quick and just a reminder, we're Local News Live, Green TV, seven-day-a-week digital network. We'll leave you with this shot here. This is a look at the uh, Sheriff's Department in Ed, uh, Lauderdale County, Alabama. And actually, you know what? I'll, twi I'll twist back here real quick as we sign off. This is Evansville, Indiana, WFIE again. Uh, the escaped inmate and ex-deputy are in custody following a chase. The ex-deputy, Casey White, suffered serious self-inflicted gunshot wounds. We'll end the stream there. We appreciate you tuning in on Local News Live. I'm Brian Pierce. That's Mike Bell. Please stick with us. We'll continue to give you updates as we gain more information. But for now, a three-minute break and back with more on Local News Live. Streaming 24-7, you're watching Local News Live.
deputy director of the facility escaped with this murder convicted or alleged convicted murderer Casey Wright Casey White and she was Vicky White law enforcement officer for decades and of course you know all the details on both of them he was awaiting trial on another capital murder case and she had a long career in law enforcement reached the very top and what's next supposedly she shot herself and of course even if she hadn't shot herself she would have we know she would have been subject to all kind of shall we say attitude adjustments Whether she was the one that pulled the trigger or the felon that she was with, the murderer that she was with, or it's a big question mark, but um, supposedly she's in serious condition, so we won't expect a lot of answers from her either way, if she survives or not. Custody, and we're going to hear a lot about this. Here's News Nation's report on it. Manhunt for inmate Casey White and Officer Vicki White ends in Indiana. It's about 12 minutes. So let's listen. Everybody in their right mind knew they wouldn't be on the run. Yeah, as a rollover crash, this is right outside the Evansville airport. Lots of uh, law enforcement there on scene. You can see FBI. There's several different pickup trucks there. Possibly one of them is the one that we saw on Tuesday, from Tuesday, at a car wash nearby this area. And what Brian Enton was saying, that somebody actually called in, I believe it was the owner of that car wash in Evansville, Indiana, calling on Casey White, an escapee inmate Casey White, and former corrections officer Vicki White. They have been on the run since April 29th. Uh, They've been armed and dangerous. That's according to authorities uh, for fear that nobody should approach them that they could possibly have weapons on them. But what you are looking at is, in fact, what is to believe to be the capturing of the two, Vicki White and Casey White. And we don't know what conditions they're in. You can see that that car has flipped over on its side. But FBI is there on scene showing just how major the situation is. And, uh, Brian, can you explain a little bit more about what you are seeing there on the ground now that we can say that this is, in fact... Both correlated, Vicki White escape as well as the, the Casey 
white. Yeah, so this really comes no surprise to me, this confirmation, because all the pieces were coming together, um, and, and now we have confirmation. What we need to wait to learn, Kelsey, which is very, very important, is the condition of Vicki and Casey White. Who is driving the car? Are they both alive? Is one of them perhaps alive and one of them perhaps deceased? We don't have that information yet, and I assume that will be the next nugget that we get, uh, either through our sources or from the... Um, the press conference when hopefully it starts soon. The sheriff told me they were trying to start on time, but he was still getting information in and wanted to get everything, you know, sort of triple confirmed before he, he went on with, with this press conference from Alabama. But in terms of the scene out here, you can see, I think that's, uh, we're, we're sort of far away, but Luis will, will zoom in. Yep, that's someone with an FBI vest there. Again, all the pieces matched here. Why would you have the FBI at a, at a normal crash? Um, the U.S. Marshals are out here. Um, and, and then, of course, local local law enforcement. Um, as it appears now, as you said, Kelsey, the search, this, this manhunt that has lasted more than a week now, uh, that has sort of intrigued the nation and the world, uh, has now come to an end. But again, what we have to wait on is to see, are Casey and Vicki White alive? What kind of condition uh, are they in? Uh, and, and where does this, this whole saga go next? And Brian, like you said, they've been on the run for the past 10 to 11 days. Everyone, the whole nation, like you said, on the hunt for them. And now we can confirm that they have captured them, but we don't know in what condition. Again, we are, we're talking about inmate, escaped inmate Casey White and former corrections officer Vicki White. But joining me right now is former FBI agent Jennifer Koffendoffer. She's joining me now and... We're going to go to Jennifer. Jennifer, can you tell me a little bit about, I mean, this went on for 10, 10 to 11 days. Is this typically what we see in a type of manhunt like this? Well, you had a corrections officer with a law enforcement background that did a good job of the initial planning. Where it seems to have gone awry was when that first car apparently had mechanical difficulty, broke down. They apparently had to another vehicle or steal another vehicle and make their way to um, Indiana. But what I find very interesting is this owner of this car wash. How astute was he not only to continue to contact law enforcement, but also to take note of what vehicle they got into so okay, that Jennifer, we can Thank you so much. Jennifer, thank you so much. We're going to take the presser right now. Sheriff Singleton, Rick Singleton, he is speaking on behalf of this case all the hard work he's put in. Uh, he, he's had a very difficult job. Our district attorney, Chris Conley, is joining me. And uh, this is the prompt, uh, press conference that we've been talking about all week that we wanted to call. Uh, Casey White and Vicki White are in custody. Uh, there was a pursuit uh, this afternoon in Evansville, Indiana. Evansville, Indiana is about 219 miles from here. Uh, the U.S. Marshals were in pursuit of a black uh, Ford pickup, I think it was a F Ford 150, uh, and uh, Casey White was driving that vehicle. Uh, Vicki White was a passenger. Uh, as a, during the pursuit, the pickup truck wrecked. Uh, Casey White surrendered. Vicki White has been transported to the hospital uh, for treatment. So this has ended a, uh, a very long and uh, uh, stressful and challenging week and a half. It ended the way that, uh, that we knew it would. They are in custody. Uh, what I'm very thankful for tonight is that no one was hurt. Uh, no citizens were hurt. No law enforcement officers were hurt. Uh, 
as a result of this escape. Uh, Casey White is now back in custody, and I, I cannot express enough to the U.S. Marshals Security Task Force for the assistance they've been in this. Uh, their agents are actually the ones that were involved in the pursuit. Uh, and my, my team of investigators who worked diligently alongside the U.S. Marshals Task Force, uh, all the other partners and players in this, the least of which is not the media. You guys have made this happen. You've kept this story out there. You've kept it on, on everybody's mind. And the tips, uh, what led us to the arrest and then the uh, uh, capture of, of them today was a tip that came from citizens. And those, they call those tips in because of the coverage y'all have provided us. You don't know how much I personally appreciate the way y'all have helped us in this case. We got a dangerous man off the street today. Uh, he is never going to see the light of day again. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing for not just our community, but that's a good thing for this country. So thank you uh, very much for your help. Uh, I'll be glad to take a few questions. What's the nature of Vicki Don't know. Just know she's been transported to the hospital for treatment. Uh, there was a wreck. I don't, I don't know if the rooms are related to the wreck or not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yes, I think so. That Ford F-150. What's the connection to Evansville, Indiana? Why there? Don't know. Uh, how? Well, if anything took us into that town, uh, uh, you know, but that's where uh, we got the, the latest tip, which uh, came in uh, late last night, I think. Last, last night, uh, followed up on it first thing this morning, and uh, they were able to uh, get some leads there, and uh, it led to their capture. Where exactly did the chase start? Where did the chase start? I'm not sure. Uh, I, my understanding is that they had found, uh, located them at a hotel, and uh, they ran, saw, spotted them, ran, and the, the pursuit ensued.
Some goddamn information and his answers are not helpful whatsoever. Alright, let's listen to NBC News. Two minutes. Work ethic, their dreams hope. news in just the last couple of minutes here. The corrections officer and accused killer she suspected of helping escape in Alabama are now in custody. The Lauderdale County Sheriff making the announcement not too long ago. Watch. This is the press conference that we've been talking about all week that we wanted to call. Uh, Casey White and Vicki White are in custody. That is an announcement, as the sheriff has alluded to, days in the making. U.S. Marshals had just released photos of that truck you just saw with pictures of Casey White in Evansville, Indiana, said to be abandoned at a car wash. Minutes later, we heard there was some kind of a chase. The sheriff saying that the two were basically chased in a black Ford F-150. Here's how he describes it. Listen. U.S. Marshals were in pursuit of a black uh, Ford pickup. I think it was a F-4-150. Uh, and uh, Casey White was driving that vehicle. Uh, Vicki White was a passenger. Uh, as a, during the pursuit, the pickup truck wrecked. Uh, Casey White surrendered. Vicki White has been transported to the hospital. The sheriff did say nobody else was hurt in this chase. Said it was tips from citizens that helped get these two into custody. So again, they escaped. They were found in Indiana. They were on the run for a little more than a week. Vicki White, remember, was set to retire the very day she disappeared with Casey White. Told officers she'd been transporting White to an appointment. Vicki White, again, now in the hospital. You heard the sheriff allude to that. Um, both are facing some very serious charges. We heard the sheriff say of Vicki White that he hopes that she survives and says that she has some serious answers that she owes them. He also was confident that police would catch them. Saying he'd never experienced a week like this in his 50 years on the job. But of Casey White he is not getting out of this jail again. I can assure you that because, again, Casey White likely to be in custody at the very facility that he escaped from. We're going to have a lot more coming up on this as we get more developments. Let's hope he's not put back in custody in the same place he escaped from. That There's no logic in that whatsoever.
affirmation that it's okay to say something. And and where else would you get that from other than someone you trust? Yeah, and, and guys, I want to add something, guys. Because we all know and we all feel as a convicted felon because we have not developed a relationship with him. She's not going to see him as a convicted felon first. She's going to see him as Casey. Because, again, she developed a relationship. Now, guys, I'm not minimizing. Don't get me wrong. I'm just giving you a perspective. You know, again, it doesn't mean I'm justifying what happened. I just want to give a perspective. We see the felon first because that's all we know him as. So, right. you know, so his job is this. When you go to manipulate somebody, the manipulation is really about, i got to take you out of your prescribed role so you don't see me as a felon. You don't see me as an inmate. Or if you do, it's secondary. It's not the first thing you see. So we see the felon automatically because that's all we know him as. But if she's having interactions every day, he's giving that title away. So eventually he's not a felon. First, he becomes Casey. And then eventually he's not a felon at all. So you got to realize something. Our perspective, what we see, isn't what she sees after, or what she sees after a developed relationship with him. She doesn't see the murderer. She sees someone that loves him. You know what's funny is someone mentioned this, too, at a point, too, guys. And, guys, we're not justifying what they do. Just another perspective because again if I if I wrote a book on manipulation right I can't just write on there would be a quick book if I said don't do this you don't need a book for that don't do it it's not this book is all about the process that gets us to shift our priorities shift our perspective you know and that's what manipulation is it's slow and subtle and you don't really know you've been shifted so again not to minimize and some people will look back and say well that will never happen to me but yet it still does you know, it still does when you shift the title of who it is. Right now, the country's going big on don't call inmates inmates, don't call inmates inmates, don't call inmates inmates. But you don't realize how important that label is for us because that's a reminder to us of our professional role as officers. I mean, I get why a nurse may still call them a patient, a social service provider, a client, because that relates to their professional role. But what do we have as officers? Inmate or convict? I mean, it's... It, it, that reminding them of that role reminds us of what our role is. And I also want to mention something else, too. When the loyalty shifts, when he's built the trust, and again, I just see somehow behind it, even though she's the actual facilitator, he could still be the puppet string, moving the puppet string. you got to realize something. At one point, the facility and the location doesn't have a lot of weight. Because I don't see that when I deal with him. All I see is him. All I see is, this is a guy that I'm in love with, and at this point here, what would you do for someone you love? If you had the ability to do something for someone you love, I mean, there's, I know it's a little extreme, but think about that. You know, if you love this person, what are you willing to do for someone you love? Now, hindsight bias, we know. But we don't know the process, and I can't wait for them to kind of discover that, lay that out, to see, you know, not even just their closeness, but the frequency of their interactions that allowed for it to develop. Was she compelled to see him all the time? Like, every time was she at work? Did she want to see him? Or there were times when she maybe wanted to avoid him because she knew she was going down the wrong path. So maybe there were times where she was evasive in those areas. Like, you know what, I'm not... Get too involved, I'm not going to go see Connie today. I'm not, not going to bother, not going to, but then the interactions occur. And the, and, and, and the reason why, as I said, I, I bring the upper management involved is because.
because one, the show test the level of beach training, I get it. But if you have a facility that's very complacent and very lax, and these things get discovered after the fact, where were you while it was happening? You know, where was the trust knowing that I could report this? You know, sometimes it's funny, guys. The people that are most corrupt are the ones that try to get the closest to us, especially to those in higher authority. And those are the ones you should be questioning the most. That person that you trust blindly every time they come in, you sign a sheet without even looking at what they wrote. How do you know that they didn't put themselves in a position so they can manipulate you? You know, you have this guy was involved in gangs. We don't know this for a fact, but hypothetically, how do you know she wasn't involved in a gang and the whole time she was in law enforcement was to be that insider? So what is she going to do? She's going to keep on moving herself up and up and up and up to get to the closest to it. I'm not saying that's the case, but just to let people know, when you're at the highest position, always be wary of the people that are directly next to you because they're the ones that have the most influence over you. Would you agree with that, Connie? Absolutely. I mean, so as long as they have your ear, right, and they're close enough to you, they can influence, and, and, and it may not be a direct, you know, intention of influence. But, you know, oh, you know, when I went through this, right, like, oh, this is what we did. Or maybe you should consider that. Like, the fact that, you know, like, you and I talk every day, right? And you like, Connie, you really need to do a reader, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm already working on something, right? But it's still in the back of my mind, like, oh, maybe I need to do this thing. So, like, I think what we have to realize, too, is especially when you're at that level, you have to be mindful of who's in your ear. Because the things that they say, even though you may not take action right now, the, the thought is still there. The seed has already been planted. And, I mean, I don't know. I mean, no, we don't know, you know, what, what was happening with Vicky and, and, and all this. But, you know, what we do know is this is a high-ranking high individual who had the influence, who had the ability to, to make things happen. She's somehow being influenced by this inmate. I mean, I would like to think that there was some level of manipulation and she just wasn't masterminding on her own, right? She didn't just come up with this wonderful idea that she was going to break him out and they would go run away and live happily ever after, right? But even if he was manipulating, I think our reality is that he had enough influence on her and even if he, maybe he planted the seed, right? He plants the seed, and that influence now becomes like a thought. And then she begins to fantasize about it and romanticize and maybe come up with a plan. Like, it's, it's all that stuff that we don't know for certain, but we know enough to know that this is a really bad situation for her, right? I mean, he was already in jail. He was going to be in jail. That's just <laughs> what it is. Um... But for her, in my mind, you know, her her life went from bad to worse. If, if she thought for a moment that, you know, um, this was somehow going to have a fairy tale ending. Yeah, and, and guys, I want to mention something. So guys, don't forget, Wednesday at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, we have Dr. Laura Bernard on. We're going to talk a little bit more about manipulation. She's a female warden. So me and Connie are going to interview her. She's a good guy. Great article on manipulation. Alicia has it. I don't know if Alicia is able to share it in the link. Um, but she's going to talk about how we get close to staff and how we make, manipulate the inmates when we're close to staff. Guys, I want to mention something too. 
um, before we come down to a close, is that Casey, when they go to another facility, you have to realize he's going to be viewed as an expert manipulator now. So uh, his interactions with staff is going to be very limited, probably supervisor contact only, um, and still very limited at that. But again, initial supervisor contact. We're not, not bringing back the higher-ups on that one either. It's just going to be that initial supervisor on the floor because, again, you don't want to have this guy with free range with any staff member uh, because obviously there is there could be some games to end, you know, and maybe that's what led to this. But, again, in order for us to learn, and that's why I kind of think with this dialogue, usually I don't follow a lot of true crime, but I did on this one, is because the manipulation process is, is not taken as serious as it should. A lot of facilities don't even give training. I mean, we had Toby Dwarf, you guys get a chance, you got to see the interview we had just a couple of days ago with Toby Dwarf where she discussed how she was manipulated into smuggling a, a murderer or someone that was involved in a murder out in the drug trade. And I think the problem is a lot of people underestimate the power of manipulation because they're so outcome driven. Like, no way I'm going to do this, no way I'm going to do that, but, but yet you're doing things in the process that lead you to that. You know, so, so you may not realize what you're doing at that, uh, that's leading to that final moment. That's why I think there's always those good places, those checks and balances. And guys, we have to also be very wary of the set four people that are next to us. Because we have to protect our leaders. But we also, again, like if I'm an officer, I don't want everybody talking to my sergeant. I don't want everybody talking to my lieutenant. I don't want everybody talking to my department head. The reason being is because I know for a fact if they can get to them, then they get to me. So we have to be very protective of those people at our department. Again, you want the inmates to see them. But you don't want them to be so accessible. When you have someone on a unit like an executive director and talking to inmates constantly, uh, especially in my world, red flags are going up. I mean, you'll even have officers that will come right up and say, hey, again, I'll, I'll handle this. I'll handle this. I'll handle this. And they'll do whatever they can to stop that power, that, that influence that the inmate can have over you, which can then directly affect them and, and how they do their job. You know, I mean, Connie being as a nurse manager, Connie, I'm sure that you've seen inmates try to manipulate nurses over medication and how protective, you know, do you have to get to make sure that, okay, we may have the front line, but I got to make sure the supervisors that oversee those nurses who could get caught up are on point. Absolutely. I mean, and, and I mean, it, it really just doesn't stop there, right? Because all too often you have the inmates who have come direct to, directly to me as an administrator and my secretary would be like, no, you need to write her. Or, you know, no, you need to speak with the nursing supervisor before it comes to her. Or, no, did you speak to the nurse on the floor first? So it's almost like we've got to manage that chain of command in a way that protects each person in the chain. Um, and, and I think that happens at any level, at every level. You know, if, if you are not the right person for a request, you need to redirect that inmate to the right place, the right person. That way, there is no way that that inmate is able to circumvent the process. We got these policies and procedures in place for a reason, and they, they, they are there to protect us. I mean, yes, they want to protect the institution, but they also do serve as protection to us, right? So if someone's sick, how do they get to sick call, right? Write a letter, you drop it in the box, which means the officer has, has seen your letter if you didn't drop it in the box directly. And then there's a process for it to get to the box to whoever is the right person to respond to your request, right? It shouldn't be me. It shouldn't come directly to me where I can now make some things happen that may, and, and honestly, suppose I don't know all the steps in the policy or the procedure, right? I could be doing it not intentionally, 
right? Like, oh, I'm just trying to help. Not all help is good help, you know? And in these instances, it is constantly redirecting to make sure the appropriate people are getting the appropriate responses. And guys, the reason why they, they I think the second route would have been down south. So they went, you know, again, you have limited resources of law enforcement. You know, they're going to make some best guesses where do we think they're going to go. They're probably going to head to the border down south. So they put a bulk of their stuff there, and then they spread maybe a little up north. So I think they kind of assumed. Don't forget, too, by the way, here's another thing that's not really mentioned. She's the director of operations, so she knows what happens in order to escape because she's part of the policies for those. So when inmates escape, she's probably the one that creates the policies behind the inmates escape. So she knows exactly what the immediate response is for an escape, who's going to immediately notify, who gets immediately notified. So I think they went into an opposite direction. But again, you're dealing with someone that, as an officer in a high-ranking position, she was very familiar with the procedures of, um, you know, how that facility runs and also the agencies that they call for that support. So what we're going to do next, I think we're going to probably Wednesday, guys, I want you to tune in at 7. We're going to have a talk with Dr. Laura Bedard, more about the emotional and physical of uh, inmate manipulation, you know, kind of really dig into mindset of the inmate as well as the person who get caught up and guys if you want to learn I, I get it you know at the end of the day you know they didn't say local law I get it but in order for us to learn we have to see someone as a victim so we can understand how the game was employed just a matter of understanding not a matter of minimizing what they've done but just to understand how this can happen so when we teach it we go beyond just the outcome we can tell people the process because we have thought about it it's quite insightful and then I would like to Maybe another dialogue, maybe towards the end of the week on the process. Uh, but what's going to happen now with them? How can they be housed? But I just want to get some more information. And me and Connie also said if, they can, if we can discover more of what happened inside the prison, we're going to pop back up and do live dialogue. And one last thing, um, uh, me and Russ and Connie are very committed to producing a live dialogue once a week where we'll answer any of your questions related to the prison that will get that. But what we want to do is we want to introduce stories of survival from behind the wall, where I have access to a lot of people, so does Connie. We will bring in people that survived assaults, survived hostage situations, survived rapes, families that survived the death of a staff member, and we'll talk to them, ask them how they feel, and just to get to know the prison system on a whole different level. So if you guys are subscribed to the channel, you finally can get a channel that's going to tell you the truth in a very objective fashion. So it's a little bit unique. There's no other channel doing it like this. So as always, guys, I kind of have a final thought, I thought. Um, honestly, I, I think we, I think we got to call it for what it is, right? This is someone who did some real crazy stuff, ruins her life, her career, all of it for a murderer. And um, I think we've got to be okay with that, right? Like, I, I think I, I see the second chance comments. I see, like, different comments about, you know, people making mistakes and all that, right? Like, I get that, right? People do make mistakes, but in this very moment right here, this is someone who was at a very high rank who helped an inmate escape, and whatever plans she had in place, they all failed. And at the end of the day, um, it's, it's still hard. I'm still trying to process how we empathize with someone who allowed an inmate, who facilitated an inmate escape. Um, and someone had mentioned a little earlier the difference between the Toby story and this story. Uh, it's, it's, 
you know, I think it, it was.
podcasting live, but we heard it one hour later or so, and nobody wants to hear any more from that sheriff in Alabama, Vicky's boss. Must have already turned in his papers. If not, he should hurry over to the retirement office and turn in his papers before they make him an offer he can't refuse. News Nation, we listen to them. Alabama.com. They're going to give us the sheriff to drop the ball. Let's try inside edition. Is this America's most wanted fugitive? Security cameras in a car wash in Evansville, Indiana, captured this image of a man believed to be Casey White on the run after escaping jail in Alabama with his lover. The photos released by U.S. Marshals show a man who sure looks like the hulking six-foot-nine-inch murder suspect. The tattoos on his right arm seem to be a match. He's shaved his beard and wearing a cap and sunglasses. His jail guard lover, Vicki White, was reportedly at the car wash but was not captured by surveillance cameras. Evansville, Indiana is 180 miles from their last known whereabouts about 35 miles outside Nashville, Tennessee, where their getaway car was found. School bus driver, 41-year-old Jackie Evans, spotted a copper-colored 2007 Ford Edge abandoned on this rural road. She spoke with our Megan Alexander. It was just sitting here, vacant. The windows were very tinted, no tags on it, no one around. The car was towed to a police pound where it sat there for almost a week before it was realized that this was the getaway car that police across America were searching for. Valuable time had been lost. Investigators discovered Deputy Vicki White's radio, handcuffs, and shackles inside the vehicle. Drone video shows the spot where the vehicle was found. It had been abandoned 111 miles from the county jail in Florence, Alabama, where the duo escaped. Police released this video of Vicki White in the lobby of a Quality Inn hotel the morning of the jail break. She appears nervous and impatient as she waits to check out at 6.30 a.m. Earlier that week, she bought men's clothes and items at a sex shop. Casey White's former attorney, Dale Bryant, knows the fugitive well. He does become um, paranoid. He becomes agitated, violent, and impulsive. This is a dangerous dude. With Casey off his medication, it is it is impossible to say what he will do and won't do. So that was inside edition on YouTube. Person is SKB. Casey White. They have been seen at car wash. Because our, the microphone is going to pick you 
up. Um, James is the person who literally solved this entire thing, and it's, it's, it's awesome to have you with us right now. He is the manager at the car wash, and he first spotted uh, Vicky and Casey at the car wash when, uh, when their truck was discovered there. That was earlier this week. James, walk us, and you haven't spoken to anyone yet, and so no one has really heard your story. We've seen the surveillance video. Walk us through what happened at the beginning of the week, how you first spotted this truck at your car wash here in Evansville. Okay, how it went down, I noticed the car hanging out of the bay, which is unusual. It kept sitting there. This is on the 3rd on Tuesday. Every time I leave, the truck's still been there. I come back, still there. Next morning, I get up at 6 o'clock to take my granddaughter to school. It's still there. I take her to school at Boston. Get back at 7.30. The truck's still there. I walk up to the truck, and I think, oh, my God, this is probably this guy from Alabama. And I walk and look in the truck, because I think he could be dead, passed out, who knows. And so I backed up, and then I opened the door, the keys are in, I started up the truck around, I got away. I googled the local police department's phone number, because I didn't want to call 911, send the cop out. The cop comes out, and he said, well, there ain't nothing I can do, it's not reported stolen, he ran the plates. So, then he left, he come back, he looked in it again, he found a gun lock in the seat. He said, oh, my God, there's a gun lock, but there ain't no guns around. So he left. Then I, he said, just do what you got to do. I called Price State Tow and I had it towed. And this was on Wednesday? That's on Wednesday. And when did you see the video and say, this guy looks like Casey White? Was that on Wednesday also? No, that was on yesterday, Sunday. That was yesterday. The U.S. Marshal Service called me. They sent me a text message called from Alabama. And they said, I heard you got a truck towed. I said, I did. I said, that's a guy from Alabama. He said, yes, it is. So he said, I got U.S. Marshals coming to you even as I speak. And they didn't show up till this morning. James, if it wasn't for you looking at that video, calling the police, this may not have ended like this. The U.S. Marshals said not to show what they're driving because I've got her picking him up on surveillance on my camera. And I told him, I called him back. I said, I got her. She's still with me. She picked him up. And he said, we think they're still in the Evansville area. Obviously, they are. Yeah, and you told me earlier you knew what kind of car they fled in, but you weren't going to right. put that out because you didn't right. want to they compromise asked me. Not to. The marshals asked me not to. And the way this ended now, I mean, a, a chase, it's upside down. What do you make of that? I knew it's how it's going to end. I knew it. Either that or one local cop could have pulled him over. He would have shot and killed him. It took a team of law enforcement to do this. So. Well, great work, James. It's a pleasure to meet you. It's people like you who... You solve these see, things. If you see something, say something. See something, say something. It shows that it works. It works. So thank it you, works. James. Thank Great you. work. Um, so you heard from James himself basically here in Evansville, Indiana. He spotted the truck earlier this week, went and looked at his surveillance video uh, at the car wash. We're going to stay on scene and work to gather some more information, and we'll bring you the latest coming up in about 15 minutes. Reporting live in Evansville, Ella Shimwell, 44 News. Ella, that developing story has a lot of angles. We go now to 44 News reporter Sydney Spencer. She's also there. She's got another set of eyes on the scene here. Sydney, what can you tell us from your angle? Yeah, Brian, I've been here on scene for about 20 to 30 minutes, and as you can see behind me, there's still a lot of police cars. I'm actually going to step aside so the photog can show you guys a little bit more. Um, U.S. Marshals are currently out here, a bunch of EPD cars as well. We do have little information right now, but what we do know is that the Alabama Correctional Officer, Vicki White, and inmate Casey White have been taken into custody. 
when I arrived, I saw a car in the ditch. I'm unsure whether or not that car has been removed just yet. And also, as I was walking up, I spoke to a bystander who told me that she saw the incident happen. She saw that the car flipped over in the ditch and it passed through one of her businesses. Now, we're going to continue to investigate this. Like I said, we have little information right now, but we will speak with the sheriff very soon. Reporting live in Evansville, Sydney Spencer, 44 News. Any, any indication on how long they've been in Evansville? 
We, we can't clarify that at this time until we speak to him. We know the vehicle that was recovered uh, had a date of May the 3rd. It's hard to believe that they've been here that many days, uh, but we were lucky that we stumbled upon them today. Yeah, the car wash surveillance photos were from the 3rd. Uh, it's only speculation, of course, at this point, but why people on the run stay in Edison for six days? Well, they're criminals. Sometimes they do things that are unexplainable. But in this case, I'm glad they did. How did law enforcement, um, how did law enforcement catch on this one? Was somebody called in or did law enforcement just catch them? Uh, a member of the Evansville Police Department observed the vehicle and, and thought that it could have matched the description of the vehicle that we've been looking for, and that's when we went to investigate. So the vehicle that's found at the car wars, was that impounded? The police force? Yes. So they changed vehicles? Or you guys jump never beat me up. They changed vehicles to a Cadillac? Okay, so anybody here. Was it a was it a Cadillac that was eventually stopped in the crash? Uh, no, as you see it was this vehicle in the it looked like a truck, wasn't it? Was it a truck? Oh, it's a Cadillac. No, it well, I'm sorry, it is a Cadillac. Yeah, Cadillac stop. I'm sorry, I didn't see We'll just let the sheriff handle okay. it for now. I know it's been on the press. Can you talk about the cooperation between various law enforcement agencies to get this done? Well, probably one of the best uh, federal agencies that we work with is the U.S. Marshals Task Force. Uh, they, they do a very good job. They supply a lot of resources to most of us. And when we have a serious crime that needs to be addressed, we usually handle it through the Marshals Task Force and our office. And the state police is involved in that. That's what place as well. So it's a very good
anything goes nowadays, the world has changed. Who else had something posted here? Okay, most of this is old news. Let's search um, something more traditional. Traditional news sources. We'll try CNN. Eventually, 
He'll be saying he doesn't know Vicky. She's, oh, he's already saying. He learned that he can't trust anyone. And she, that's not the lady that he knew. Misinformation, misguidance. Who else can we find online that might have the news? Might have some reports that's not sugar coated. I'm not aware, I'm not sure. If anybody should know, it should be him. He's the top, top gun at the place where it all went down. He doesn't know. He's not sure. Vicki White. Self. They're calling it self inflicted. Gunshot wound. And, you know, that has many different spins on it. It could have been self inflicted or just could be labeled that. Uh, CBS Evening News, one hour ago. for a man deemed armed and dangerous by police and the corrections officer who's accused of helping him escape from jail. CBS Scott McFarlane is with us on these fast-moving developments. Okay, Scott, what are we learning just in the last few minutes? Yeah, Nora, after more than 10 days, Casey White is back in police custody. He's a murder suspect from Alabama who escaped with the help of Vicki White. The two aren't related, but Vicki worked at the jail where Casey was being held as he awaited a murder trial. The couple was found 219 miles away in Evansville, Indiana, after what's being described as a short car chase. CBS News has learned U.S. Marshals investigators got to Indiana yesterday after an abandoned truck was recovered at a car wash and was tied to Casey White. The car wash operator shared surveillance images of him. The fugitives were spotted in that vehicle. Vicki White was in the truck with Casey and suffered a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head been taken to the hospital. Her condition is unknown. The sheriff spoke a short time ago. Take listen to what he had to say. We got a dangerous man off the street today. Uh, he is never going to see the light of day again. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing for not just our community, but that's a good thing for this country. Nora, 
obviously still a lot of outstanding questions that we'll hopefully learn the answers to in the days ahead. Wow, what a stunning end. Thank you, Scott McFarland. Well, we kind of suspected that it was a gunshot wound to the head. And she's in very serious condition. And this her boss, former boss, Sheriff in Alabama, is still pretending that he doesn't know what her injuries were and he doesn't know her condition and she's got a lot of explaining to do. I think he's, he's Oscar or Grammy material in his own mind. But, um, well, I guess he was close to her for so many decades until we have to cut him some slack. He's traumatized, no doubt. And um, he's more than likely going to need some sort of a emotional support, counseling, all of that. Like a nice, nice man. That's what you find in the United States, especially in the southern states. You find such nice, kind, trusting, loving people like this sheriff. That when something goes upside down, they're in shock. He may never be able to wrap his mind around what happened, but, um, well, his, his backup, his director, is the subject in this, and it's no way that he has anybody else to speak on his behalf. He has to set aside whatever trauma he's experiencing and speak to the public. He's doing his best. Try to give him credit for at least being in the moment. It'd be easy for him. Nobody would want to be in his position know when they lower the boom on him, they're going to make an example out of him. Because they don't want to see it happen again. And the, the, the liability that it's going to create, the civil liability that it's going to create, um, the man that woke up from the car wash, doubt we'll have an attorney that will come after the sheriff and everybody else. Now we're going to switch it up just a little and listen to this news about Watts family murders. This Chris Watts from back in the day in Colorado 
he posted something three weeks ago. Supposed to be more shocking. Every time they say more shocking details uncovered behind bars, just clickbait. Just remind you of everything that happened. But um, let's listen and see what the so-called shocking. Everything we thought we would never hear from him again, but it was actually only just beginning. This is my flesh and blood. This is like what I wanted all my life. reveals the gruesome details of the murders of his wife and daughters. The convicted killer speaks with investigators from inside his Wisconsin prison cell. After being sentenced, Chris was taken to prison to Wapin, Wisconsin, where he's now at the Dodge Correctional Facility. Investigators from Frederick Police Department and CBI flew to Wisconsin and tried to extract another confession from him. to tell her he wants a divorce and he's having an affair. That's the first time that he ever admits to Shanann that there is another woman in the picture is moments after she got home. That's when Chris gets on top of his pregnant wife and starts to strangle her. Strangulation is a very personal form of murdering somebody. Chris says Shanann didn't say anything. He claims she didn't fight back. Why do you think she wasn't fighting? Well, I was, uh, maybe she was praying. The scripture says, don't uh, uh, forgive these people. They do not know what they do. Uh, maybe she was saying that. I don't know what she was saying. Her head. Did I know I was going to do that before I got on top of it? Sound like I just saw my life. Shanann's body. He took her downstairs to the garage. 
caskets and I couldn't believe it happened. 
you're not supposed to bury your children and certainly not your grandchildren. I believe the Watts family as well as the Rusek family are not together mourning, but they're certainly mourning equally. Everybody buried their issues with one another. It's going to be incredibly difficult for the Ruzek family and the Watts family to fully heal from this or move on from it. Ronnie and Cindy Watts, they were not ready for the impact that it was going to have upon them. This feels like it just happens every day. And I do think that we're all five seconds away from choices that are going to lead us down the path to make us or break us. Chris Watts was your all-American dad with everything any man would ever want. Now he's sitting in a cell, convicted of the murders of everything he once loved. Shanann was buried as Shanann Rusak. They're all together finally in North Carolina. There's a lot of trauma that went through this case. There's a lot of tears that were shed. This case is a good example of how the process is designed to heal. But in order for that opportunity to exist, you have to respect the process. As far as Shanann's family, I just hope they, they're able to focus on the time that they did have. Shanahan was such an empathetic person. I think we could change the world with people like Shanahan if we were willing to learn from her legacy. The small town of Frederick, Colorado wants to remember Shanahan, Bella, and Cece, and baby Nico, while also trying to make sure that this town can heal from the wounds. Watts mass murderers what's up with these mass murderers and of course that's clickbait there wasn't hardly anything new nothing shocking so <clears throat> alrighty if we can find um, if Gray Hughes has anything updated no I guess maybe he's three at least two hours behind the east coast because Gray Hughes is in Oregon if I recall so he may still be working on on his production of the day's events. Mm, who else? Uh, live now from Fox. Just heard from them. Here goes nothing. 
what up? It's Porky Pig. They call me P-double-L-G. Step to me. He don't want no trouble. I was famous before the internet. Since 1935, I've been getting respect. This pig is lit. I'm super legit. Every time I'm out in public, people asking me for pics. You, nobody knows you when you walk the street. How your last name rhythm and you still off beat. <laughs> I'm here for all the smoke. Your squad ain't all star. Your squad is all jokes. And this was one bar most famous of all quotes. This battle is now over the bat. That's all, folks.
When it came to my weight, I was told to eat less and just move more. But the weight always came back. That's because there's a science to obesity.